Welcome to the Stripe, first and only podcast dedicated to the face-off position. I'm your host, Greg Gorenlian. I'm excited to bring you knowledge and insight about the PLL face-offs and their superstars that perform at the face-off stripe. Group play is wrapped up. An elimination bracket is set for the PLL Championship Series. We're going to break down what happened, who shined, and what we can look forward to this week in the playoffs as they begin. All right, well, we had one heck of a championship series that began this past week. Every single team got to play four games in group play. We now have our elimination bracket set, and it's it's time to go over what we all just saw because I think we can all agree that we saw some things we did not expect. I certainly saw some stuff that blew my mind, and it was very entertaining uh, we're going to have to try to mix it all together here and come out with some some answers. So let's first just go over the recap of group play. The Whip Snakes, led by Joe Nardella, completely just screamed through their schedule. I mean, it wasn't even close. It looked like uh, you had a, a BCS uh, D1 football team playing against uh, a bunch of other teams that were from like Division Two and Three, just kind of going through a preseason schedule. It was almost scary. And at times... People just had their their palms in the air. Why did Joe Nardella, somebody who was about a 30% clamp percentage guy last year and historically around a 52% faceoff man, suddenly literally couldn't lose? And we're gonna we're gonna put all that together. How did how did Trevor Baptiste, somebody who was a juggernaut last season in his entire career, uh, suddenly have a game around 22%? Jake Withers, a guy who hasn't played yet. How on earth did he go nearly 60% in group play while not even winning 10% of his clamps? Tommy Kelly, who has, you know, we all agreed, had in most of the time the fastest hands in the league, uh, barely beat 50% on his clamp percentage. And some of the newer guys, some of the newer guys. So Hunter Forbes, Hunter Forbes uh, only took about 10 faceoffs. So let's look through all of this and let's, let's, figure out why the things are the way they are after looking at the film and breaking all this down. So let's, let's recap group play. So first off the whip snakes with Joe, you know, Joe was 76% through four games. And when you look at that, you go, wow, that's a really high percentage. No, that is an insane, ridiculous percentage. Something where you have to keep looking down and trying to check your statistics to see if they're right. 76% is preposterous and and the reason uh joe is doing that is there's three different ways to win face-offs the first is to win face-offs by clean wins on the whistle winning your clamp now historically joe has not even been a 40 percent clamp percentage guy he was a guy who had fast hands because he was a professional lacrosse player but when when you compared him to other guys he wasn't considered a hand speed quote-unquote guy he would win his faceoffs by scrapping, countering, chasing down loose balls. He has arguably the best wing continuity in the league, and they would chase everything down together. Now, right now, that's true. The Whip Snakes with Joe facing off, they have 23 wing ground balls. That's more than any other team in the league. Now, when you look at Joe, uh, Jake Withers, and Drew Simino, for instance, combined their wings have 23 uh, wing ground balls when they're both out there. So how does Joe have that many wing ground balls? Well, because his counter ability is insane. 
So when we look at this first column, counterability when you lose the clamp, Joe is using a both his butt end and the head of his stick to lift his opponent's sticks. So when you go back and watch the tape on the whistle, if Joe loses on a 50-50, okay, which is when both players are clamping, they're trying to win the ball. When his opponent starts to finish on the clamp and Joe's realizing that he can't win the clamp, he bails on it. And instead of standing up or instead of trying to win a clamp that he knows he's probably never going to get, he immediately waits for the player he's going against to freeze and he stands up and lifts underneath the stick, which is totally legal. What you can't do is rip at a guy's arm. So you can't pull a guy off the ball with by his arm. But what Joe's doing is he's getting underneath his opponent's gloves and he's lifting the stick with his butt end or the head of his stick. And once that ball squirts loose, uh, Joe is dominating on the ground balls. How is he doing that? Well, first off, he just has a physical knack for it. And he's a, a, a very athletic player. But the other part about it is once you lift the player off the, off his ball, a player who's been lifted usually falls down. You've been lifted, you fall down, you're not, not sure where the ball is. Joe's still on his feet, and he has that extra step. Now, like we've talked about in the past many times, in the PLL rules, the wings are closer. They're a yard closer. And Joe has the same exact wings that he had from last year, uh, which is not the case for many teams right now. And they just are swarming. The whip snakes, when you watch film, there's three guys around the ball at all times. And not many teams are like that. Usually the face-off guy's waiting behind. Maybe one of the wings on your team are waiting and they're worried about the, the fast break, not the whip snakes. It's like watching a youth third-grade soccer game where there's just an amoeba of kids around the ball that follow each other, and that's the whip snakes at all times. Now, the other thing Joe's doing on loose balls is Joe's not keeping on his feet and scooping through like historically most people do. Joe drops to his knees, camping over top of the ball. Now, that's legal. You can't touch the ball and smother it, but Joe basically drops to his knees over top of the ball, and it's in between his legs, so no one can get to it. And he uses his free hand, almost not warding, just has it out there, and he uses his right hand to scoop the ball literally in between his legs. And it's a perfectly legal move. You can argue, yes, maybe that's something they should look at because for safety reasons, you can't check him or do anything when the ball's sitting in between someone's legs. But it's perfectly legal. And he's really good at it. So anytime he doesn't win the clamp, he's getting it anyway. Then we look at clean losses. So when Joe's losing a clean loss, meaning that on the whistle, his opponent is clamping right away and winning the clamp cleanly. Joe doesn't do anything but stand up, and then he tries to beat you to wherever you pop the ball out. And we saw a couple times against the Archers, they would clamp, they would go through their legs. We call it a TTL exit. You pop it through your legs, and the Archers weren't running towards the ball. They were standing flat-footed, and they would pop it. And as they were throwing the ball through their legs, Joe would just start to run behind them, and he would steal the ball. So he's just got a knack for it. He's very savvy. He's not, um, it's not an ego about winning the actual clamp. He just wants to find where the ball's going to go and beat you there. And I also think when you are winning a lot of face-offs, you have confidence and you have confidence in your wings where you'll take chances like that to go run onto a ball rather than stay there and counter. So those are two different ones. And then here's the biggest one. Right now, he is tied for second in clamp percentage. So you're taking a guy who is winning on, in two other columns when he's not even winning the clamp. He's winning the faceoff. And now he's got 
62% of his claims. That's double what he had in a full season last year. And he's winning 62% of his clamps. And because of that, his ground balls are way up. He has 38 ground balls, own ground balls off the faceoff. That is 18 more than the next guy. Connor Farrell has 20. Okay. So, and and just so just so you understand, his his total faceoffs that he's taking, it's not like he's taking a hundred more face-offs than anybody else. He's taking nine. He's taking 92 face-offs. He's the only guy who's taking face-offs for the whip snakes. And he's, he's like, he's taking the most face-offs, but he's only taking the most face-offs by like three or four. So it's not like he's taking way more than everybody else. He's just dominating in all three facets of the game. So why is his clamp percentage so high? And for instance, his clamp percentage is higher than it was last year. So is bones. Kelly, so is Drew Simino's. Trevor Baptiste is down. Tommy Kelly's is down. Why? Why is that? Well, when you watch these games, and I've been watch, I've watched every faceoff of these entire tournaments so far. The referees' cadences are the most insanely fast and quite honestly confusing cadences I've ever seen. And it's your job as a faceoff guy to adapt to that. And a lot of guys haven't. So, for instance, historically myself, I've liked when we go down. And the referee, they have a physical cadence. So if you haven't noticed, they put their hands over the sticks to say set, to physically show you that you can't move. Then historically, NCAA and professional referees would say set and then back out about two steps. And then when they blow the whistle, you're reacting to the whistle. And usually the guy who reacts to the whistle fastest, obviously, and has the best technique wins the clamp. That is absolutely not the case right now. I've never seen the cadence like this. The referees are literally putting the guys down and they're tapping the heads of their sticks with their hands and they're blowing the whistle at the same time, which makes it almost impossible to see if a guy's going early or not. Now I'm not saying Joe's going early. What I'm saying is, is Joe has adapted to this way better than everybody else. Apparently uh, because Joe goes right on the whistle, right? Whenever the ref taps the sticks and everybody else seems to be utterly confused by it. We're seeing guys put their palms up. They're looking at the ref. They're getting called for earlies when they don't seem to be going any different than the ref, the whistles before that. So the reason Joe Nardella looks like he's completely obliterating guys that he was just either going 40 or 50% against last season throughout the whole year is because the PLL is using the exact same refs every single game and they're all tapping the heads and going. And he is the only one to his credit who has adapted to that. Every other faceoff guy seems completely confused by it. Now, when we look and we'll move past Joe here because Joe is literally dominating. In my opinion right now, Joe is the MVP. Joe's the MVP of group play. Am I a little bit of bias from a face-off guy standpoint? Maybe. Okay, but when you look at what has to be done for a face-off guy to win an MVP award, okay, when I won one in 2015, I had to literally destroy face-off records. And in return, there had to be no offensive players that were really dominating everybody else. And right now we're seeing Granham Amen's doing really well. Uh, Matt Rambo is coming to form. Uh, Zed, like all of these guys are doing pretty good, but there's not like one guy where you're going, wow, he is killing everybody. That is the perfect recipe for a face-off guy to have an MVP uh, situation. Now, it's four games, right? So being MVP of four games is, is what it is. But at the same time, when you look at a guy who is Seven, almost 17% higher face-off percentage-wise than everybody else. 
and he has dominated every single team he's gone against, you have to give that a serious look. Now, the Whip Snakes have two things going for them right now. One, they have a face-off unit has been crushing people. Their wing unit, uh, Michael Earhart, has been Mike VP all over again like he was in the World Games in 2018. And then you look at Kyle Bernlar, and how are you going to score on this team? Your goalie has been insane. Your face-off guy is getting you possessions, and they're averaging they're, – they're winning games by – I think their closest game in, four, in group play was four goals over the um, Redwoods. Now, you have to admit – in the PLL, that's ridiculous because everybody else is going into overtime every week. Everyone's beating each other by maybe one or two goals. So you have to take a hard look at Joe Nardella as the MVP of group play. Now, that has definitely been my biggest surprise. Okay, I, I did not expect any face-off guy, uh, Trevor Baptiste, anyone, to dominate the way Joe has. But when I look at my other surprises so far, I would say that Trevor Baptiste going 22% against Joe Nardella was a massive surprise, 100%. Now, let's go back and look at some of the stuff that we talked about in the preseason. In our other episodes, we interviewed everybody. We were pretty sure when we looked at, you know, how, how are the face-off percentages going to match up here? Well, I figured group play, Trevor Baptiste would be first. He's not. He's actually 51% right now, okay, which is not even the top half of face-off guys in the PLL group play. I assumed that Drew Simino and Jake Withers would combine to be the second best face-off unit in the league, and that has come to fruition. I expected Stephen Kelly, Bones Kelly, and Brendan Fowler to have a better uh, uh, season together than they did last year. I expected them to be closer at the end of the year uh, last year, their performance, and they've both performed better than they had in the past. But Connor Farrell has been the biggest surprise to me, and the reason is – I really expected his wing unit to lose a lot because Joel White wasn't here. But when you look at Reese Eddy and his emergence and the other wings that have come in and played really well for him, it's really impressive. He went ballistic, nearly 80% in the first game against the Chaos. Now, Tommy Kelly and him have had good battles. He and, and Tommy had trained together, and it, it wasn't even close. And that was absolutely insane that first game when the Chrome when the Chrome won over the Chaos and Connor Farrell was completely unbeatable. Then Connor ran into the 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 two-headed monster that I was excited for, which was Jake Withers and Drew Simino. Right now, Drew Simino and Jake Withers are two and three in faceoff percentage in group play. Here's the fun part when you look at those guys. Now Drew Simino is actually 62.8% on his clamps. All right. Now that's second. That's just that's just past Joe Nardell, who's 62.2. He's at 60.9% on his face-off percentage. And when we talked about it in the Water Dogs episode, if you want to go back and read that and watch that and listen, we talked about how Drew Simino is going to have a reemergence because he's getting a fresh start. But I also said the biggest thing was Jake Withers, which I said was not a big enough deal when he came in. Jake Withers was the catalyst to this because Jake has proven with PLL rules that you don't have to be a dominating clamp guy to be an elite level faceoff man. Jake's clamp percentage. Now try to wrap your head around this. Say you go out and you go, you take 10 faceoffs at the highest level. If I told you that, hey, you're going to take 10 faceoffs, okay, 
and you're not even going to win one full clamp out of those 10 face-offs. But you're going to win almost six out of those 10 face-offs. How would you wrap your head around that? You can't because Jake Withers is the greatest counter expert in the PLL right now. Joe Dardella is great at countering after the clamp. Jake Withers is on a knee doing clamps, quick rakes, and counters. He's going standing neutral grip. He's going clamp, rakes, and counters. He disguises the move, the counter he's going to do. And then on top of it, he's Canadian loose ball expert. Now, to not win 10% of your clamps and go 60% against the best face-off guys in the world is preposterous. He's won three clamps this entire tournament in four games. And he's won 27 face-offs. Now he's doing it with a Canadian wing unit, right? And him and Zach Kerr, you watch them. Drew, uh, Jake Withers, not only is he winning face-offs, they're getting ground balls or hunting them down as a team. Then he's running two-man games with Zach Courier, who's then scoring goals off of the face-offs. Then you put Drew Simino out there, who is a straight-up clamp expert. Now, here's what's crazy. If you're watching these games, Drew Simino is winning almost 61% of his face-offs, right? But he has won 63% of his clamps, and we've watched a ton of games so far where we didn't honestly I was if you saw me live tweeting I didn't know if it was his cleats or what Drew is slipping and falling all over the place after he pulls the ball out and he's still at 60.9% on faceoffs he could easily be in the mid to high 60s and it's all because Drew's come back refreshed but Jake Withers has made this huge difference if you go out there as a faceoff guy and Jake Withers is countering you not even going for the clamp and you're worried about what you're going to do after you clamp, where your feet are going to go, where you're going to pop the ball to, because the wings on the on the water dogs are everywhere. And then the next face-off out there, you have a clamp expert in Drew Simino who's going to clamp and spin around the ball on you. You have to really change the way you're approaching every face-off based on who's coming out there to the stripe. That's a lot of game planning to do, especially if you're a team and the water dogs are beating you or they're on a run because they have been a very streaky team. You don't have time to figure all that stuff out between every face-off. So that has just been some cool stuff that I've seen, some cool trends. Now, let's talk about some uh, two groups that are having a really tough time right now, okay? the the Tommy Kelly and the Chaos are having a really horrible group play experience. And when you look at their overall face-off percentage right now, uh, Tommy Kelly's at 32.5%. His clamp percentage is still above 50%, 57. Now, last year he was at 75%. So that is already a big difference, okay? So when you're not winning clamps and you are known as a guy who his biggest strength is winning three quarters of his clamps, but your exits are always have been historically everyone knows is your problem. If you're winning way less clamps and you still can't exit, what are you going to do? So... I would say from a disappointment standpoint, I would think that Tommy Kelly's kind of disappointed because he, I mean, he lost a ton of weight. He worked his tail off. He was very excited. I mean, I remember when we were talking to Andy Towers, like he barely had anything to say. He was like, Tommy Kelly, best face-off man on the earth, period. We're not worried at all. We're going to crush everybody. And I know a lot of us are sitting there going, okay, but what about your wings? Like, how are you going to, like, what have you done to to improve that. Yeah, Tommy's lighter and he's he feels great physically, but you're only taking one face-off guy, you have no backup plan, and 
Have you done anything with your wing play? Have you planned anything? And when we watch these games, they look completely disjointed. They don't look like they have a game plan. Uh, we've gone out there and we've watched. There's been faceoffs where Tommy Kelly's lined up and hasn't even noticed that his draw side wing, which is your left side, wasn't even on the field yet, and they would get a delay a game. So there seems to be no game planning to help TK out there. Now, as TK's being the faceoff guy, yes, that's your job to lead these guys, tell them where to go. But it doesn't seem like there's a plan because when we watch the first quarter, usually as a face-off guy, if a team's beating you on the wings or dominating you with counters, there's a game plan involved. You come out in the second half, you tweak things. We haven't seen not just a halftime tweak by the chaos, but in four games there hasn't been a difference. Uh, TK will, has still faced off on a knee. Uh, he hasn't tried standing at all. His wings don't seem to know exactly where to go. And here's the biggest thing. TK was, like everybody else who's played Joe Nardella, was dominated. But he was also dominated by Jake Withers. And the key to that is when you clamp and you don't have a plan to where you're going to throw the ball out to, it's real easy to lose that faceoff. If you're not going to clamp and you're going to freeze, guys can counter. Guys are so good at countering with that now. Because Connor Farrell, who also lost weight, when we saw that first battle of the group play, TK played Connor Farrell. Connor Farrell, TK, two guys that like to clamp on their knee, two guys that lost weight and were really excited about getting out there. Every time Tommy Kelly popped the ball out, Connor Farrell was there first. And that's where we really saw the wing play of the Chrome. And we we're like, wow, these guys have a lot of continuity. And it continued throughout the entire series where the Chrome had a very good wing play for the most part. And they were all on the same page a lot. So it was obvious that Connor Farrell had spent time with his wings planning uh, for each game because every faceoff guy is so different in this league. And that's what really highlights the how cool this position can be when you see the nuances of how each guy specializes. Tommy Kelly's a clamp specialist. But everything else seems to be in disarray for the chaos up there at the Shrike. Now, when you look at the Redwoods, I know they're obviously disappointed as well. When I broke down the film, Peyton Smith had admittedly done exactly what I did against every team that he's played so far. Against Tommy Kelly, he stood up, he went rake, and he was successful. He got a lot of rakes out. The ball was loose. Tommy Kelly was actually about 70% that game. That was Tommy Kelly's shining day. But Peyton Smith was getting the ball out to where he needed to. Greg Pasculjan was Greg Pasculjan. He was getting the ball, pulling the ball out sometimes, getting underneath it. Ball was squirting loose. The Redwoods' wings seem to have a game plan that's different uh, than what we had last year. So, for instance, against the Chaos, lock off all the wings, make it a one-on-one ground ball. But the Chaos seemed to get to the ball two steps before the Redwoods players on every single play. Against Trevor Baptiste last year, when we played them, our goal was to disguise the coverage on the wings, make it look like you're going hip-to-hip, and then every face-off change which guy was going to sprint in on Trevor and double-team him. And that worked really well. Against the Redwoods this year, the uh, against the Atlas this year, the Redwoods were locking off the wings. They weren't doubling Trevor at all. And Trevor was clamping, turning, and popping the ball out five or six yards away and running and scooping all day. Greg Pasculjan has gotten 50% of his clamps so far, which is a very high percentage. But he has missed first-time ground balls almost more than half the time that he's popped the ball out. So he's just had an issue, as most guys do. You have to remember, Greg Piscoljan and Peyton Smith, right now, these are their first four games of their career in the PLL with these rules. 
We all talked about it during the uh, preseason, if you want to call it, these episodes when we were talking about with all these teams, all of us face-off guys took three or four games to adapt to the size of the field, the dimensions, and, and how close the wings were. These guys are getting thrown right into the fire, and I have to admit, I think Peyton and Greg have done a pretty good job for that. These, these are guys that are rookies. They're not getting a full week to study. But every single game so far, the Redwoods are working really hard on the wings. They just aren't doing the same game plan that they were doing last year against each team. And it's almost like they are taking the wrong script and they, they don't realize it. So when you look at all these games, you know, you're going against Trevor Baptiste, you're locking the wings. That's not what you do against Trevor Baptiste. You, you double team Trevor. When you look at Tommy Kelly, you completely lock the wings and you beat them to the spot. That's not what they were doing. They were hanging back. When you look at, you know, these games, you have to have a specific game plan and you have to execute it. So, for instance, they're going to play the Water Dogs in the elimination round. Jake Withers is a counter specialist. He doesn't clamp a lot. He's going to look to counter you. So the goal is to get the ball out as fast as you can and have a wing running onto the open space. What are they going to do? Are they going to do that or are they going to do something different? If you don't do exactly what you're supposed to do against a team, you can't win. You, these guys all have a specific thing that they have a weakness in. And they all have a specific thing they have a strength in. And it's your job to exploit the weakness. That's the only way you can do well in PLL. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how these teams step up. Trevor Baptiste learned a lesson. Trevor Baptiste learned a lesson in group play as the world's best face-off guy. And look, yes, you had you had one bad game. It's, it's okay because for the last – Eight almost eight years, you have been the most dominant faceoff man on earth. You're allowed to have a bad game or two. You're still the best. But he learned after his game against Joe Nardella that he can't freeze. He's got a clamp. He's got to pop it out. He had a higher clamp percentage in that game than Joe Nardella. He still went under, you know, he went about 22%, and he learned you can't freeze. So what did he do against the Redwoods the next game? The Redwoods, uh, against the Redwoods, his wings, the Atlas wings were giving him space. He was clamping, turning, and finding space. And it was back to his old old self after some stance tweaks. These are things you have to do. You have to change every game in the PL. That's what makes the rules so cool. Now, when we look at the best wing units, I mean, Michael Earhart is Michael Earhart right now. The Water Dogs are the Water Dogs, as we all expected. Okay? When you look at wing ground balls right now, the Whip Snakes have 24 wing, wing ground balls. The Water Dogs have 23. And then the Chrome have 17. And then there's a pretty big drop after that. Um, you have the Atlas also have 17 ground balls. Um, but when you look at the Archers, the Redwoods, the Chaos, I mean, the Chaos have seven wing ground balls in four games. That you, Your face-off unit cannot be successful like that. And it's not like they're not winning clamps. Tommy Kelly's won 44 clamps. That's third best. So they have to figure it out. And it's not just losing possessions when you lose these wing ground balls. But a lot of times in the PLL with 10 yards cut out of the middle of the field, you're losing transition. That's where the water dogs are killing guys. The whip snakes are killing guys because they get the ball down during your transition period. The attackman will go and score. And that's what's really killing people out there right now. The violations, there have been a lot of violations. And, and the reason for that, like the Redwoods have nine of them. The Chrome, the Archers, the Atlas all have six. There's a lot of violations, and the reason behind that is, like I said, the referees' cadences. The referees are at a situation right now. The PLO has to make a decision. You either have to get these referees to give you a real cadence 
where they say set and then back out and just take the chance of, yeah, maybe the first game guys jump a little bit because they're not used to the the regular cadence. They're all trying to guess, but that's what's happening right now. Guys are flat out guessing. When the referee taps the sticks, they're just going and they're assuming that they're supposed to go. And sometimes it gets called early, sometimes it doesn't. I'm gonna I'm gonna say when I've been watching these face-offs, and like I've said, I've watched every face-off in group play, and I've re-watched every face-off in group play. I would say two-thirds of the face-offs in this tournament, guys have gone early before the refs actually physically blown the whistle. And that's what makes it frustrating is when you don't when you do that and you make it so hard for yourself visually to call in early, if you don't know that a guy's going early. When you do call a false start, you see the guys kind of look back at the ref like, what did I do differently that time? You didn't do anything differently. Because you have to understand when the ref puts his hand down and says set, that is the physical and and verbal cue that you're not allowed to move anymore. That's why the set call is so important. So when you're just tapping the sticks and as you're saying set, you're blowing the whistle, you can watch guys are moving all the way up until they face off. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to be frozen. The PLL rules were designed to create parity, to create more wing ground balls. What you're doing right now by changing the cadence this way is you're making it a full guessing game and you're kind of ruining the other rules that we put in place. So it's going to be interesting if the PLL says between now and elimination round, yeah, this is the you have to go to a normal verbal cadence like you have in the past. I don't know why it's gone this way in the in elimination in the uh, group play this year. But they have to make a decision because it's gotten really sloppy and that's why things have kind of gone for a loop right now. Some guys are getting called for so many violations because honestly, every single whistle almost can be a violation. It's just, it's almost like holding in football right now. We know what's happening on every play and it's up to the referee's decision if he wants to call it that time or not. And it makes for a very frustrating event for the faceoff guys. Now, when we look at this wing play, obviously the whip snakes are dominating. The water dogs are dominating. The chrome are doing well. And so are the archers. When you look at the actual state standings, those are also the top teams on wins and losses. That's not a coincidence at all. Wing play is the most defining factor right now for teams that are doing well at the faceoff. When you look at the faceoff percentages throughout the league, the faceoff percentages look exactly like the wing ground ball. So, for instance, whip snakes overall, 74.5%. They're first, okay? They're also first in wing ground balls. When you look at the water dogs, second. They're second in wing ground balls. Cromer, third, third in wing ground, ground balls. The archers and Atlas could be swapped, but everything else is the same. So when you're dominating wing ground balls, you're dominating face-off percentage, you're dominating in the stands, uh, in the standings. So the PLL rules were designed to do that, and we would actually have even more of a clear, concise cut if we didn't have all these violations. Now, the top three face-off percentages are also the top three ground balls. We know that. So let's look at the previews coming into, after we've dissected that group play, let's look at the previews now as we get ready for this elimination bracket. First game, Water Dogs versus Redwoods. We have two different two tandem face-off units. One's doing really well, and one is struggling mightily. And like we said before, this is not due to talent. Both teams have talent. It's just that when you're looking at the styles, on the Water Dogs, you have one guy who is a flat-out counter expert who is going to make you run all over the field and kill you on wing play to try to pick up a ground ball. Then you have the other guy is a clamp expert who's going to wrap around the ball, B 
beat you to the clamp, and then pop the ball out the space. Those are insanely different styles, and you have to approach them very, very differently. If I go against Jake Withers, I know that I have to get to the ball with a lot of weight on the whistle, and then I got to get it out to space, and I have to have my wings in perfect alignment so that they get away from the ball and give me the space to run onto it. Against Drew Simino, I know that I have to distribute my weight heavily into the ball, and then I have to rotate hard and saw down into it. And if he rotates, I can pop it forward, which is the exact opposite place I would pop it against Jake Withers. So my wings have to be on point. That's what makes the water dogs hard to deal with, because if you're not paying attention to who you're going against and you're not executing perfectly, not just for yourself, but for your wings as well, you're not going to win face-offs. When we combine that, we go to the Redwoods now. Let's compare. When you go against the Redwoods, you have Peyton Smith, who has proven he's got an elite level hand speed. He can get to the ball and he can rotate. You have to give him space to do so. And you have to do similar to what you would do with a Trevor Baptiste. As a wing guy, you need to push your opponent's wing into a space where you know Peyton isn't going to exit to so that he can spin, turn, and get, get himself the ball. Greg Piskolgin is always going to pop the ball out to the same spot. It's always going to be front left of him. He's going to do that click and drag move off of the knee, and we know exactly where the ball is going to squirt to. As a wing player, an opposition wing player, all you got to do is get to that spot and you're good. Now, if Greg doesn't win that clamp, he's going to stand up. He's going to try to jostle and rip underneath your glove. And all you've got to do is put the ball through your legs, turn and go. Now, that is not a varying distinction. You're going to approach as a faceoff guy your clamp exactly the same way against Peyton as you would against Greg. So you don't have to change anything there. And then all you have to do is make sure that your wing guy gets to the right spot against Greg Piskuljan, and you're good. And then as far as, like I said, when you guys get into a battle and you're willing to pop the ball out as an opposition faceoff guy against the wing, uh, against the uh, Redwoods, their wing play just seems to be in the wrong place almost every time. And sometimes it, it ends up being an easy ground ball for the opposition. Sometimes it's a battle and the Redwoods are just a step or two late. It's not effort. Those athletes are insane on the Redwoods. It's just a game play because they're executing the right game plan. It's just that they're, it's, they're executing the game plan. It's just the wrong game plan each game. So it's not enough of a change in distinction between two face-off guys where it's going to cause you a lot of issues as opposed to the water dogs where they are insanely different. Now, of course, you add the fact that you have rapport, right? The Redwoods have no rapport with the current face-off guys. They're still getting to know them. They're still trying to understand their nuances. When you look at the, the water dogs, these guys have played with each other before. You've got Courier, you got Withers. These guys have all played together. So they have like a good understanding. Brody Merrill knows exactly what Jake Withers does. You know, so and Drew Suno is a pretty easy game plan guy. You know he's going to win most of his clamps. You know how he's going to rotate. So he can explain that pretty easily uh, to his wings. Now, I think in that matchup, as of right now, unless the Redwoods change something, the water dogs are going to have a, a pretty good game. I mean, they're going to win a lot of clamps with Simino. They're going to have plenty of counter opportunities and loose balls with uh, Withers, and their wings have been on the same page. And I think they're going to study the film against the Redwoods and see what the tendencies are. Greg Piscoulson is going to have to really change something. He's going to have to. He's getting a loose ground ball every once in a while. He's getting a clean, easy win out the front, and a couple of times he's been able to scoop it. In fact, one time he's able to have a huge assist against the Chaos and really make a difference in that game. But for the most part, he's overrunning them or he's just not getting the ball out to where he needs it and the other team's wings are scooping onto it. So I think that the Water Dogs are going to have an edge on the faceoff percentage, but we'll see. Now, Chaos versus Chrome. 
I think the chaos will have a better game than they did against the Chrome the first time. I think it was obvious when you watched the Chrome last time. I mean, Will Hoss, Reese Eddie, Eli, they, I mean, they they dominated. They dominated the wings. And it was, even though TK won the majority of the clamps in that game, the Chrome were a heavy uh, domination on the faceoff percentage just because it looked like it was three against one the entire game. And even when TK would pop it out, Farrell would turn, stand up, and steal it back. So the chaos really have to have a come to Jesus moment in that locker room. And they have to really game plan and decide what are they going to do against the Chrome? Because this is an opportunity for them to show that they are able to understand this as a three on three face off and can adapt because they're going against the exact same team that they went against at first. And if nothing changes, then you're just got to sit there and say, okay, as a staff, as a face off guy, as a wing unit, who is it here who doesn't understand the position enough to make a decision? Because you really can't go out there with the exact same game plan and expect a different result. I think Connor Farrell had ups and downs throughout the group play, but at the end of the day, he was still very dominant. Um, he had a real rough game against the water dogs and the counters, but I think that he's made, he's definitely made a huge leaps and bounds. He's grown since the first year he's added moves. He's added counterability and his footwork is, is way better this year than it was last year. He was a very simple, like one trick pony in the first year. And he still was a pretty dominant faceoff guy. This year, he's shown that he's he's improved a lot. So it'll be a very interesting series. But I think with that Chrome, with that Chrome wing unit and that whole that whole unit looking really really good right now, as far as continuity, you have to give the edge to the Chrome. Archers and Atlas is going to be a very fun game. Uh, last time out against the Archers, he went sixty two percent. And Bones went 54% and Fowler went 36%. Now, Fowler has been very up and down. He's had games where he's almost been 100%. He's had games where he has struggled mightily. Uh, so he's been very up and down. Bones has been more on the whistle than he has in the past. And, and a lot of that, one, is attributing it to his hand speed. But two, I think he's also starting to get a grasp on this really fast cadence and uh, similar to Nardella. And he's won a, a higher percentage of clamps because of that. He's adapted very well to the faster cadences. What I'm interested in is can the archers' wings show up a little bit more? Now, look, against the Whipsnakes, at the at the very beginning of the game, it looked like the archers were understanding the game plan. But then when you watch that game go on, there was so many ground balls where it was three Whipsnakes and one archer. Now, there were some ground balls where you know, the Whipsnakes were just running through everything, going for the ball, diving on top of it. Archer's guys were either palms up in the background or maybe someone stepped on their foot and they're hopping around and you're like, what is going on out there? And it was a completely dominating experience. And the reason I think when I watched the whip snakes versus archers, the archers were not winning a lot of wing ground balls. Now, part of that, yes, is, is it wing play? Possibly. Cause I think McNeil and I think Alexander and uh, definitely Scott Ratliff are good wing players, but a lot of it is attributed to the fact that the archers like to pop the ball to themselves. Bones Kelly loves to pop the ball to himself. That's what he does. And I think that really kind of lowers how many wing ground balls you're going to get when your own, your own face-off man's popping the ball to himself a lot. It kind of skews those numbers. But when you look at the fact you're going against the Atlas, uh, one of those guys, and I would, I would look at Fowler as a guy who is going to scrap and counter Trevor after he wins the clamp and rotates. The blueprint is out there right now. Trevor Baptiste doesn't like to – he's not a 
in and out kind of faceoff guy. He is a crush you, dominate the column, finish on the clamp, and then rotate and spin kind of guy. Now, against Joe Nardelli, you can't rotate and spin. He's going to get his foot under your stick. He's going to get his hands under your stick. He's going to lift you. He's going to scrap and rip at your arms and take that ball back. Against other people, it works. Clamping on the ball, rotating correctly. But are the archers going to give Trevor that space? And is Bones Kelly going to continue to have a really fast first move on the whistle and be able to use that clamp percentage that he's gained so far this year to make a difference? Okay, we'll see. We'll see. Because I think Trevor has a very is, is starting to get his confidence back. The Atlas Wings have learned that you can't just sit back and watch Trevor Baptiste be Trevor Baptiste. At some point, with the smaller field and the closer wing play, you really have to game plan. And I think that's what face-off guys all around are realizing right now. I've talked about it in our first few episodes. Last year as a face-off guy who was 12 years older than everybody else, I felt that the PLL rules gave me the opportunity to use chess pieces and my face-off IQ more than any other level by far. And because of that, I was able to game plan and focus on going out and winning 51% of my face-offs, which happened pretty much every game. And we did it by telling the wing plan players where to be at specific times and how to go against the opponent that we're going against and exploit their weaknesses. If guys start to become a little bit more analytical and look across the board, we have young faceoff guys all across this league right now. If they start to realize that you can use your chess pieces either to create space for yourself or exploit the weakness and actually attack the opposition's faceoff guy, we're going to get a lot more nuance. We're going to get a lot more chess matches out here because right now we have our, Fist fights, just pounded out, body body blows, crazy ground ball situations. But this could be a lot more of chess matches if guys started to try to follow the film and exploit tendencies of the opposition. That's what I'm looking for right now. The young face-off guys in the PLL who are incredibly talented, superstars, athletically gifted. If they are willing to sit down and watch the film from four games, see the tendencies of the guys they're playing next, and start to focus on exploiting those tendencies, I think we can get some really fun three-on-three chess matches going on elimination. Or, hey, we could just continue to see some WWE out there, guys throwing suplexes and just trying to knock each other out on the clamps. Either way, we're going to be entertained. Either way, face-offs have been a significant part of these of the discussion of the success of these teams. And I'm loving every second of it. So I think what we're going to do now is we're going to sit back. We're going to watch the elimination round. Now that we have some more knowledge in our heads of what happened in group play and we can dissect it, now we can really talk together on Twitter and we can watch every face-off and see who's doing what and why. And let's have some fun. I want to thank you guys for listening. And you guys have been great, by the way, on Twitter, GregBeast32. Continue to have this discussion with me every single game. We're going to go through it together and watch this and have a great time. And I will see you guys on Tuesday at the Stripe.